Thanks, buddy. Hi. Happy Sabbath. And thank you for that wonderful reading. Let me turn on. There we go. This is the Bible verse that we read, the middle part. I don't know about you, but I am very happily married. I have wonderful children. I got the best brother in the world. I belong to a wonderful church, but that verse that when I look at right, that when Bible talks about my right side, that's a strong side, that's a good side, my, my asset side, not the liability side. When I look at everything, I got a wonderful home, wonderful friends, yet I feel this. There is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Do you at times feel like that? You know, when my family loves me, they celebrate my birthday, they celebrate Father's Day, Yet deep inside, there's no reason for that. Maybe, but I feel this, and this Psalm 142 touches my heart. I am going to deliver the same message today at the prison, and I know that some will shed their tears when we read this Bible verse. And we sometimes think, oh, that's because we left God. We are far away from God, and that's how I feel. But you know what? Throughout the Bible, at least my Bible that I read, the people, the pillars of faith in the Bible, at the height of their spiritual state, felt the same. In fact, David wrote this, when he was in the cave. He was in the cave two different times, and I'm not going to go over in detail, but during that time, when you watch his life while he was a fugitive and had to be in the cave a couple of the times, he was in his spiritual high. He trusted God as no other time. When he became a king, on the other hand, he started wandering around, looking at the world. But that Psalm 142, if you look at the top of it, it says meditation or contemplation of David. And he looks at his right side, and he says, there is none who takes notice of me. No re refuge remains to me and no one cares for my soul. And we all feel the same at, the, at, at times. 
Let me give you some examples. The pillars of faith that felt this. Okay, there you go. I want you to think about Samuel, that faithful Samuel. He was called by God when he was a little boy, lying down in the tabernacle, maybe seven years old, maybe eight years old. All his life, he served God. His hair turned gray. He thinks he's about to die. He set his two sons to be judges. People do not like, like them and comes to him and says, you know what, before you die, we want king. And he is so dejected. He goes to bed, he can't sleep all night, he tosses and turns, and God has to come to him and say, Samuel, calm down. It's not you they rejected. It's me, God, that they rejected. It's okay. It's not your fault. Don't you think Samuel felt that there is none who takes notice of me? All the service that I've done for them, they don't understand my concern about my children. They're so impatient when all my life I was patient with the people, forgiving them, giving my life. Don't you think Samuel felt no one cares for my soul? How about Elijah? You know, one of the most famous things about Elijah is after that Mount Carmel experience, he runs over and says, God, what's the point? My life don't count enough. Nobody takes notice of me. Even after this, what's the matter about this world? Let me just die. God has to send an angel to touch him, encourage him, saying, it's okay, it's okay. Eat this, drink this. How about Joseph? Sold as a slave by his own brother. Do you think he felt like nobody cares about him? Yet he keeps his faith, his soul to a master, and master says, you're a good worker, I trust you and everything. And he keeps his faith. When his master's wife says, sleep with me, he says, no, for that, his master puts him to the dungeon, a prison. Don't you think Joseph at that time felt like there is no one who takes notice of me? No refuge left for me. No one cares for my soul. When he interprets the dream and asks this man to remember me, he doesn't remember. Don't you think he felt the same? Keeping the faith? Did Joseph feel like that because he was not spiritual? Do you think Joseph, after became the prime minister, 
when his brother stands in front of him, ten brothers, that he can recognize them and they don't recognize you. Don't you think he felt like, do I count? Do I matter to my own family? How about Moses? For 40 years in the wilderness, or even before that, 40 years as a shepherd, fugitive. Don't you think he went through his mind that, do I matter? What is the point? And then after 40 years, people wants to pick another leader and go back. His own brother and sister criticizes him. And then they die one by one. God tells Moses, no, you cannot go into the promised land. And he begs, let me go just touch the ground with my foot. And God says, no. Don't you think Moses felt the same way? How about Abraham? God tells him to sacrifice his son. And he cannot tell this, confide in his wife. So he has to keep this to himself and struggle. Don't you think Abraham, at the pinnacle of his faith, the very reason why he is the father of our faith, he felt like there was nobody who cares about me, nobody who I could share my burden. It is not because we are away from God. Maybe it is because we want to keep our faith we sometimes feel lonely this way. And lastly, let's think about Hannah, Samuel's mother. The husband says, you know what? I love you very much, but since you cannot give me a child, I have to find a second wife. Breaks her heart. Second wife comes in, have many children, and says, ha, ha, ha. And her husband says, what's the matter? Don't I count? You know, I love you more than anything else. As if that solves all the problem. And in front of her, gives her special treatment. And the situation gets worse. And then she can't handle it anymore. So goes to church, try to pray. And the pastor says, stop being a drunk. Can you just imagine what goes through her mind? Does it matter? Does anybody understand? Why do all these pillars of the faith go through these trials and tribulations? Why do they feel like they don't matter? And when we feel like that, we think there's something wrong with us. But maybe we're supposed to feel that. Maybe that is God's calling.
Let's look at John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. After Jesus entered into his public ministry, one of the first things he does in his first year, he cleanses sanctuary. He cleanses the temple by claiming, do not make my father's house house of merchandise. And then, soon after that, he does miracles in Jerusalem. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when, he saw, when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in men. Jesus loved men, and he came to die for you and me, but he knew what was in us, even the good Christians, that he did not trust in men. Maybe Jesus is trying to teach us that put the trust in God and God only. Matthew 10 tells the story of Jesus sending two by two, his disciples. And after giving the direction not to take extra clothes, no money bag, no ex extra staff or shoes, the point being, Trust God and God only, right? And he says, in verse 16 and 17, Behold, I send you out of, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How many of you parents send your children as a sheep to the wolves? And he says, therefore, be wise as ser serpents and harmless as do doves. And here it is, verse 17. But beware of men. Jesus shouldn't have sent 12 disciples. Because if he's afraid that they were, will be, be devoured by wolves and Jesus was afraid of men. They, he should have kept them there. But Jesus sent them out there to teach them the lesson of beware of men. Proverbs 25, 29, 20, uh, 25 says, Fear of men will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of men. Just very seemingly pure human nature that we desire to be recognized, understood, respected, accepted, noticed, loved, even envied. Soon turn into worldly pride selfish ambition. When Jesus rode that donkey, 
triumphantly to Jerusalem in the Palm Sunday. Five days before his crucifixion, his disciples were jockeying the position, who will be the greatest? They expected Jesus to be crowned king within days during Passover. The whole town is going crazy. Even the Pharisees and the priests says, what's the point of our plan to derail him? Whole town, whole country is going after him. Even at the Last Supper, Jesus keep on telling them, I have to suffer, reject it, and die on the cross. They're still jockeying their position. Who will be the greatest? Let me read you Ellen White's quote. While their hearts had been won by the divine grace and power of his teaching, who spake as never man spake, yet intermingled with the pure gold of their love for Jesus, was the base alloy of worldly pride and selfish ambition. Even in the Passover chamber, at that solemn hour when their master was already entering the shadow of Gethsemane, there was a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. Their vision was filled with the throne, the crown, the glory, while just before them lay the shame and agony of garden, the judgment hall, the cross of Calvary. It was their pride of heart, their thirst for worldly glory that had led them to cling so tenaciously to the false teaching of their time and to pass unheeded the Savior's words showing that the true nature of his kingdom and pointing toward his agony and death. And these errors resulted in the trial, sharp but needful, which was permitted for their correction. When the disciples learned to deny themselves, going through the trial of disappointments, asking, why does this happen? I have nowhere else to go now. Master of our hope, we really thought he was Messiah. What now? Do I matter? My feeling of dejection, does it matter? Does anybody see this? When the disciples went through that experience, they see Jesus alive. Jesus opening the Bible, explaining to them the meaning of the gospel. 
they spend time for 40 days with resurrected Jesus. And then, Jesus goes up to heaven. They wait for a week, praying for Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes down. And what happens? In book of Acts chapter 5, there's a story of these disciples who used to lock the door in the house hiding. They killed our master Jesus. Now they're going to cleanse the house. They're going to look around and they're going to catch all those followers of Jesus and we will be killed just like Jesus was killed. They were so afraid. Yet, after the Holy Spirit, after the disappointment, after Jesus allowed them to go through that tribulation, what happens? The same people who captured Jesus came over and captured all 11 disciples. And they wanted to kill them if it wasn't the teacher of future Paul who stopped them. Instead, it says, when they had called, this day is the Jewish leaders, had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then what happens on verse 41? So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. This, once we get hold of Jesus through our disappointments and trials. Peter calls it, we partaking Christ's suffering. We are partaking Christ's suffering. That experience of Psalms 142, remember verse 7, after saying, does my life matter? Does anybody care? Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge re uh, remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And then the end of that short chapter, it says, bring me out of prison. This world is the prison. My loneliness is the prison. My rejection and tribulation is the prison that I may give thanks to your name. And the disciples going through the biggest trials and bitterness comes out so pure when they were beaten and told them not to ever preach about Jesus, they rejoice and give thanks for his name. That is our calling. That's why we feel like that. 
And that experience is partaking of Christ's suffering, according to, according to Peter. And also, Paul talks about this, and he says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may know him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That is why we feel like that when we keep the faith. That is the true invitation from God to walk with him. I want to spend some time with you next five minutes to share my experience when I went to the orphanage in Busan, Korea. I was there 37 years before that. I served right after college. I went back. I was their friends, just a few years older than them when I served 37 years ago. When I go there, these children call me grandpa. <laughs> so I'm grandpa there. I want to talk to you about that girl on the left. That boy over there next to me, he did the first concert at the orphanage. After practicing that one song, you know, he was ready to have his performance done in front of his friends at the orphanage, so he did that. So we said, oh, let's take the picture. And that girl on the left, her name's Sayan. Sayan, okay? And she is somewhat of prima donna. She didn't want the boy to get attention, so grabbed the first music book of his, and he's playing with it. So we cannot take the picture as we're supposed to, okay? She's looking for attention all the time. And you know why? Because part of the orphanage's job, now government of Korea tells them, is to you have to track down their birth, birth parents families. And you have to uh, reconnect them. You have to help them reconnect. So they did the research through social service and police and they found her mother. By the way, she's about four and a half years old. Okay? She will turn five on September 23rd this year. Okay? So she's a little bit over four and a half. That's that, we took that picture in early April of this year. And they found her mother. And mother says, I don't want to do anything to do with her. And they convinced the mother, to, come on. We are not asking you to take her back. We are just asking you to keep that connection going. You know, she needs to know who her mother is. So she said, okay. So they had the first meeting, but her heart wasn't there. Sayan came back all excited first time. Second time, she said she wasn't going to come. She didn't show. She was dejected. Third time, they found her, convinced 
the mother to come back again. By this time, after that meeting, Soyeon figured this out that my mother doesn't care about me at all. And she started demonstrating this behavior of anger and frustration. And that's what she's doing. She was doing that because she needed to grab that attention. She was angry. And she didn't know how to project that because she's too young. And um, I was playing with her after that. I often went to their room. It's their room right there because I love playing with these kids. And there's about seven kids in that room, about the same age, you know, uh, three to about six years old. I go there and they got to know me. I, I stay there over two weeks, so they got to know me. So they, they're all coming, say, oh, let me show you my toys. And we are having just good time. But after a while, they will all want my attention. So they say, oh, carry me. Oh, throw me in the air. Oh, you know, do this and do that. I'm doing that. But she would not let anybody get my attention. And she got on my back and says, carry me on your back. And I said, I'm... Grandpa, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and I, I sat down, and I refused to get up. And she wouldn't get off. She was hanging on my back and yelling and screaming and telling other kids to go away for 20 minutes. And I'm getting sweaty around my neck and my back. I ignored her completely. I said, nope, I'm not going to carry you. You come down and play nicely with other kids, but she wouldn't do that. She's, she's getting more and more furious. So I told the rest of the kids to play house over there, send some toys. So they started playing. And I told her, go over there and play. And she says, no, carry me. So I took my chance and grabbed her arm and pulled her over and swung her over. And I grabbed her and I told her, why are you born? I said, why are you born? And she's in, in a shock. She's looking at me. And she stopped saying anything. She's just frozen. And I said, why are you born, Sayan? Silence for about five seconds. And I said, because you are to be loved. Sayan, you are born to be loved. You don't have to fight for everybody's attention. You can just be, and you are to be loved. That's why God made you. I love you. And the workers over there, they're all called mother and father, mom and dad. Your mom over there loves you. Your friends love you. God loves you. And she looks at me, And says, God is dead. In Korea, you cannot introduce religion or force the religion in the orphanage anymore. Because many orphanages were started by religious groups and they consider that they force the religion on the kids. So now the law changed. They cannot talk about God. 
Teachers don't talk about God. It's like public school. I don't know where she learned about God, but she says, God is dead. And I remembered, she's not talking about God. She's talking about her mother. So I said, without skipping a beat, I told her, Sayan, that is not true because I just talked to him today, this morning. And she was silent. And I kept on telling her how much God loves her. And I, I said, look, do you like bright day where you can play outside? Or do you like scary night, dark? She says, oh, I like daytime. You know, that's why God said, let there be light. That's why God made flowers for you. That's why God made those clouds that looks like animals sometimes, and sometimes it's like, it's like people's face. And she started listening. And I told her the creation story to a four-and-a-half-year-old kid. And she asked, she's looked at me and says, then how come I cannot see God? Good question, right? And I don't know where I got this, but right away, God put this answer in my heart. And I said, you know why? Can you see your friends playing house over there? Yeah. Can you see me eye to eye? Yeah. Can you see me sad and angry inside? He goes, no. Can anybody see how angry you were last few days inside? No, that's why. God only sees. God can only see what's inside of us. That's why. I said, go play with kids and remember that you are created to be loved. And she, and she says, no, can I stay with you just a little bit? So I said, okay, then let's go to mom over there and tell her what you learned today. And, you know, the, the workers over there are not Christians. So I, I said, oh, that's a good time to witness there. I took her hand, another, went over to the worker over there and says, mom, Sayon wants to tell, tell you something that she learned today. And I asked her in front of the teacher, why are you born? And she smiles and says, to be loved, as only four and a half year old could do with all that cuteness. And the next morning, so that was that. And next morning, I got up and went to eat at the cafeteria. And all the kids, after the bell rang, all the kids come over to eat breakfast at 7 o'clock. And that room of kids came over, and they sit by their own tables. Each room had their own tables, and, and they eat. And when they see, see me, they're all excited, and everybody wants to say hi and all that. So I go around the table and shake their hair and mess up their combed hair and, you know, having a good time. And I'm going around the, the, that uh, breakfast table, and I went to Sayan, and Sayan smiles at me and grabbed my arm, and I'm thinking, are we starting this all over again? And she 
pulls my face toward her and she says, I spoke to God this morning. And I said, me too. And next morning, I went to her during the breakfast and asked her, did you talk to God today too? And she goes, she smiled and said, yeah. If four and a half year old girl with that difficult of a life in the orphanage where her mom doesn't want to come and see her, her sense of feeling like I'm nobody, does it matter? Is there anybody who listens to me? That experience, if God can turn that experience around to make that the suffering of Christ and she find God, you and I could do too. God is calling us. And I'm praying that you and I could go visit the orphanage. And it is my dream that one of these years, I'm hoping next year maybe, that we can, after doing our VBS, we can go to that orphanage and run the VBS in English with them. And inviting the neighborhood kids. And right near it, there's our church school. Invite the pathfinders there. We, we could have a wonderful mission trip at the orphanage. So join me in praying that God will turn our loneliness, our rejection, our bitter disappointment into the partnership of sharing his sufferings. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your call, your calling for us to share your sufferings, Lord. Not because you are evil, mean God, because in that suffering, there is joy and peace and assurance. And we can be victorious of all our fears, Lord. So here we are. We commit all ourselves to you. Lord, we pray that you teach this congregation, each one of us, the meaning of Gethsemane and the suffering of Calvary. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.